This is the Practical Teaching Tips Podcast. I am your host, Richard James Rogers, high school science and chemistry teacher and author of the award-winning book, The Quick Guide to Classroom Management. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode on the Practical Teaching Tips podcast. I am your host, Richard James Rogers, and today I'd like to delve into a particularly important topic for any teacher who is preparing students for exams. And of course, this can happen at multiple stages in a child's schooling these days. Uh, We have year six students doing SATs at the moment. We have IGCSE and GCSE students doing their, their exams right now. So they're around about age 16 years old. And then, of course, you've got those A-levels, those um, IB diploma students and those pre-university students um, doing their exams right now. So this is going to be relevant. The tips I discussed today are going to be relevant for teachers of multiple Uh, multiple year groups and of course um, we have students doing end of year exams internal exams for uh, for their schools as well and it's very important that as we are teaching our students and we're taking them through a particular scheme of work or a curriculum map or a sequence of lessons that we as teachers are very clear in our delivery of content and it really is quite um, eye-opening and a little bit frightening I think when you delve deep into this rabbit hole because actually one comes to the realization that a teacher who is not clear during their lessons and who is disorganized perhaps and cannot get the information across coherently can really have a very negative impact on their students and actually can affect negatively the grades those students get and it won't be it won't be entirely the students fault even though our older students are supposed to be responsible for their own learning even though of course they are still quite immature children in many cases Um, the teacher's effect on those children is very, very profound. And and this is something that I have come to realize more and more over the past 16 or 17 years of my teaching career to date. So it's very important that we recognize that our lessons have to be very clear and delivered in a way which allows students to make connections between subtopics and also to understand a logical flow in what we're teaching, how one lesson connects to another lesson, for example. I often always think, (laughs) does that make sense? I often think that it's good to draw upon our experiences as students when we were in school 
and use that to inform our teaching, even though times have changed, which they have a lot, of course. Um, and I'm only 40 years old, and that's considered young today, I think. Um, and I was last a uh, high school student in the 1990s, and things have changed a lot since then, a lot. But still, I think about those teachers who delivered their lessons really clearly to me, particularly when I was studying A-levels and preparing for university, and those teachers who were a complete um, and utter, I guess, disgrace is not too light of a word to use, um, and, and I think about the difference between those two groups of teachers that I had, and definitely the ones who put effort into making their lessons clear and engaging um, were the ones that helped me the most. Of course they were. There was one teacher I had who literally printed, printed the notes for the chemistry lesson and just read the notes to the class and that was the lesson that that teacher taught. Now by today's standards that would just be... Um, you know, absolutely uh, unprofessional, and it would just not be a, an engaging lesson at all. Um, and I, I think even back in the 90s, you know, it was, you know, was, wasn't particularly impressive. Um, I think perhaps teachers were, were less accountable back then, perhaps. Um, but anyway, I mean, I remember that, and, you know, I don't remember much of the content now from, um, or, or, or from, those particular lessons, although I am a chemistry teacher, so of course I do know, I do know the content really well, um, but I don't remember particular moments from those classes very well, but I do remember moments from classes, for example, in my mathematics lessons, where my teacher made the effort to really explain problems step by step, on the whiteboard or, or on the blackboard in some cases, it's, it's that far back, um, and just made an effort to make things clear for students. Um, and, and it really does pay dividends when you do that as a teacher and you strive for clarity. So as I, as I go through my eight tips for improving lesson clarity today, I want you to please keep that idea in mind to strive for clarity as an educator yourself um, so that your students get the most benefit from your lessons. And actually, everyone, you know, I, I think there's often um, a fear among teachers that when they're about to hear a set of techniques, there's this, there's this mindset that, oh, this is going to make me work harder this is going to cost me more preparation time. And it's not always the case, actually. And I think you'll see today that it just really takes a few tweaks or a few changes to make big differences in how our lessons pan out and, and how the content is, um, is delivered. So let me begin my blog post, otherwise I'll, I'll end up waffling and I won't be very clear. Um, so this blog post I'm about to read is called Eight Ways to Increase Lesson Clarity, same title as this podcast episode. You can find it at my website, which is richardjamesrogers.com, and uh, there's a link to 
this uh, blog post in the episode description. So do please check that out. There's also a video um, that comes with the blog post. And uh, you can check that out again at the same link. And you can actually see me um, describing this in, in a different way. So if you'd like to to actually see me describe rather than just listening to me on Spotify or wherever you are, then um, please feel free to do so at the blog post. So anyway, let's begin, let's begin the blog post. I'm going to read it to you now. Our lessons need to be clear in order for students to understand the subject content they are expected to learn. This is particularly important for older students who are preparing for exams and who are therefore expected to memorize, understand and apply vast amounts of information. An unclear teacher who presents information in a confusing way can be a source of dread for students who are expected to perform highly on end of unit tests and exams. A clear teacher, on the other hand, can make students feel confident, relaxed and comfortable with the learning process contained within each lesson. The good news for us is that it is easy to make our lessons clearer with just a few simple proactive tweaks. In today's blog post, I offer my top eight suggestions for maximizing lesson clarity all of which have been distilled from just over 16 years of experience. Within these paragraphs, I will present the conclusions garnered from the many mistakes I have made in my teaching career so that you don't have to make those same mistakes yourself. Lesson clarity tip number one. Share resources with your students in advance of each lesson. When we share instructional resources with our students in advance of each lesson, we provide an opportunity to read ahead. And, of course, we should be encouraging our students to read ahead before each lesson anyway, as this process will cement some fundamental principles before greater detail is presented within each lesson itself. Nowadays, most teachers are competent in the use of virtual learning environments, such as Google Classroom, Firefly, Moodle, and so on. However, one aspect of this digital realm that's not fully exploited is the ability to upload PowerPoints, Google Slides, PDF summaries, worksheets, and other resources in advance of each lesson. One big challenge that this poses for educators is that these resources actually need to be ready and stored somewhere in an organised fashion before they can be uploaded en masse. This problem becomes further compounded when syllabuses change and resources need to be adapted accordingly. Where possible, we should have a sequence of slideshows, worksheets, summaries and other resources mapped out for a course before the course begins. Then, when day one of the course starts, all of the resources needed for the entire course 
can be ready for students to access right away. At the moment, for example, all of my PowerPoints for my entire two-year IB Diploma Chemistry course are uploaded on the student's Google Classroom and are classified on there by topic. Advantages to us as teachers when we do this are, number one, we don't have to scramble to upload resources on the day of teaching. Our time can be better spent on other things. That, that's so crucial, everybody. And on point number one, um, just thinking about that now, that's a big advantage. You know, at the start of every um, academic year, I upload all the resources the students need for two years of their IB diploma course, um, with the exception of maybe a few worksheets here and there. But all of the slides are on there. Um, for every topic um, before we even start the course. And that just saves me so many headaches. It saves me rushing in the morning before the lesson starts to upload a PPT or something. I can, it's just there ready to go all the time. And the students can read ahead. So it's, it's a big um, tip, that one. And I really do hope that uh, you'll take that on board. Number two. We don't have to scramble to find resources on a USB drive or some kind of shared folder. The resources are all in one place, online, ready to go. Number three, students can view the presentations, worksheets, PDF textbooks, very good resources if you have them, and other materials on their individual device screens in real time as the lesson is happening. This aids our instruction, reduces note-taking time for students, and even saves paper for printing. Students can view worksheets on their screens without the need for a printed copy, for example. Yeah, this, this is a big one, everyone. I mean, nowadays we're seeing more and more students actually coming to class with tablets as well that can, um, that can sketch. And if students have the PowerPoints or the slides before the lesson starts, they can literally just have them on their device as you're going through them and they can just annotate them along the way as well, which is just awesome. And, and I really do think that's the future of, um, of slide-based instruction um, because it's, it's just, it's quicker, it's more efficient. Um, a really efficient slide lesson is when you've got the slides on the screen or the projector or whatever you're using, the students don't have the slides on their device. They don't have the slides printed out. So they've literally got to make handwritten notes for every slide as you're going through them. And I can tell you, if you've got a 70-slide IB chemistry lesson to go through, I mean, you're going to be, that lesson is going to take you a long time to get through if the students don't have the slides already um, because they're going to have to write down so much. Um, and what should take one hour could take you three or four hours, and you just don't have that time when you've got big syllabuses to go through. So please think about that. Okay, lesson clarity tip number two. Don't put too much information on slides as well. Keep text large and clear. Make diagrams and instructions as large as possible. As large as the slide is perfect, 
where possible. Avoid crowding slides with too much information. A slide filled with paragraphs of small text can be very off-putting for students, not least because the text can be difficult to read when it's too small. And keep information digestible. Presented material in bite-sized chunks is perfect. Avoid presenting tons of information all at once. Now, I must admit that tip is not always easy to follow. Um, there are some courses which have mammoth amounts of material that you have to get through in two years. And it's just unavoidable sometimes that you have to get through lots of content in, in maybe a one hour lesson. So I do appreciate it's not always possible to um, avoid delivering a lot of information at once. But where possible, try to break the information down into bite-sized chunks and avoid overcrowding your slides. Lesson clarity tip number three, avoid irrelevant information. This is a big one, everybody. It can be tempting to bring in content that's indirectly or tentatively related to the material we are presenting, often to provide an extra dimension of fun and interest to the subject. A good example I can think of from my experience is when I was teaching physics to young teenagers some years ago. The topic they were learning was entitled sound and hearing and the students had to learn about sound waves, the Doppler effect and how human ears work. In my youthful stupidity, however, I thought for some bizarre reason and it was a bizarre reason that even makes me cringe now when I think about it, that it would be a good idea to teach the students about sign language. I thought that it would bring a bit of fun to the classroom and allow my learners to empathise with those in society who cannot hear properly. This proved to be a mistake on my part, however, as some students were confused about what exactly they needed to know for their upcoming test. Do we need to know about sign language for our test, Mr. Rogers, was a question I was asked. The answer was no, of course. I had essentially wasted a good portion of teaching time bringing in extra material that was unnecessary. That time could have been better spent reinforcing the foundational concepts needed to pass the test, maybe with past paper questions, for example, or live quizzes or educational games, for example. We must keep our lessons focused on the curriculum statements we are expected to teach. When we want to bring in topical information, then let's do that after the students have learnt the main material. At the end of a recent physics lesson, for example, I played a short video of the recent Mars Perseverance rover landing from NASA, as this was related to velocity, acceleration and distance, which are concepts we had been exploring in class. This NASA video didn't form the main body of the lesson, but was rather a short treat for the students at the end of an hour of hard work. So don't be afraid of bringing in extra information, but keep it short, keep it snappy, 
use it to reinforce foundational concepts that have already been delivered in class. The mistake I made, everyone, with the sign language lessons is I did about three lessons about sign language and kind of like a project for students to learn sign language and give a slides presentation. It was a waste of time. They didn't need to know that. It confused the students. Um, and it, it, it was a distraction. It was a distraction and it just wasn't the best, most efficient use of the time. Um, I'm sure there were benefits to the students for learning that, more holistic benefits, but it didn't help them prepare for their end of unit test. So very important, we keep our lessons focused. Lesson clarity tip number four, always assign focused activities. Have you ever been in a, in a rush at school and quickly found an online quiz or web activity that relates to your topic only to share it with your students and later found out that the activity wasn't quite up to standard. I have fallen into this trap many times in the past. I've assigned quizlets, word walls, Kahoot activities and other online quizzes in a rush by going on the internet and searching for them only to later find the following errors spelling, punctuation and grammar mistakes, content mistakes in some cases, too much information, more than the students needed to know, too little information, not enough for the task to be substantial, irrelevant information, content that the students didn't need to know, and poor usability, problems with software interactivity and the user experience. And everybody in the worst cases this is why you really need to be very careful now, particularly with YouTube videos. You may find swear words in these videos and inappropriate language um, and even things like racism and, and sexism and things. So you have always got to check your resources carefully before you deliver them in your lessons. Um, God forbid, imagine the nightmare if you were to play a YouTube video and all of a sudden the F word came up or, you know, that the S word came up or something and your students heard that, you know, that, that would be, um, what, what a catastrophe. Uh, and the, the, the fault would be on the part of the teacher because you didn't check that resource properly. So be careful. It's vital that we check our third-party content thoroughly before we assign it to our students. This level of due process needs to be extended to offline resources such as textbooks too. Lesson clarity tip number five, speak loudly and clearly and slowly if you can. We must avoid the following, mumbling, using colloquialisms that our students may not understand. Uh, for example, well, I'll give you an example in a moment that you'll hear. Um, and thirdly, speaking with an accent that may be unclear to some learners. I quickly learned the importance of those three points when I moved to Thailand in 2008 to teach chemistry at an international school. My students mostly had Thai as their first language, so I had to lose my thick North Wales accent, 
which even native English speakers would find difficult to understand at times, and I had to speak classical textbook English. I'm sound as a pound became I'm fine, thank you. That doesn't quite cut the mustard became this work is not up to standard and so on and so on. So avoid colloquialisms if you can. We must ensure that our speech is clear and, just as importantly, loud. This latter point is of more importance now than ever before as teachers all over the world are wearing masks and visors when speaking. Now, I know that we're saying that the pandemic is is, uh, mostly over now. I think the World Health Organization has officially declared the COVID pandemic as being over now. However, we are still seeing a resurgence in some countries. Thailand is currently going through a mini resurgence and, and we may see mask mandates again in Thailand, for example. So, you know, it's it's more important now, but it's always been important for teachers to speak clearly and loudly and where possible slowly. One thing that surprised me when I wore a visor to teach last summer was that my voice sounded louder to myself when I wore the visor than when I took it off, and that was due to vibrations and bone conduction. Lesson clarity tip number six. I've kind of mentioned this already. Speak slowly. Our students need time to process information, especially when it is presented verbally. We must include pauses in our speech and check for understanding along the way. It may be necessary to repeat key sentences a few times too, especially if the concept being explained is advanced or technically challenging to understand. Lesson clarity tip number seven, reinforce key words. Technical vocabulary feature prominently in official mark schemes and are often the core components of well-formulated answers to exam-style questions. Consider the following strategies. Number one, ask students to say keywords when they appear in your lessons. In a recent chemistry lesson, for example, I said, everyone say the word resonance, after which the whole class said it. Forcefully getting students to articulate keywords through deliberate speech can be a good way to prime the brain to remember those words when they are used in some thought process later on. Very important, that one, everybody. And also, you can you can use kind of verbal blank spaces, I call them as well. So, for example, here's a simple example, everyone. Um, the two main beverages that are served at Starbucks are coffee and tea. Yes, of course. Everyone say tea. Tea, exactly. Now, that's a very simple example, but um, you can see how that's important, I hope, to get all of your students to actually say the keywords, not just learn how to write them in the exam. Number two, use exam style questions and official mark schemes. 
very, very, very often to show students just how important it is to write keywords within an acceptable context during an exam. Number three, differentiate texts to make keywords more digestible. And if you want tips on how to do that, everyone, the blog post linked in this episode description has got a hyperlink to another blog post about differentiating text. So just check that out. Number four, encourage students to highlight keywords in their notes along the way. I always get students to do that. Very important so that when they're looking back on the notes they've made, they know that those keywords are words they need to use in the exams. Lesson clarity tip number eight, use everyday language to explain advanced concepts where possible. Rephrasing sentences that contain subject-specific vocabulary can be a good way to help students understand the underlying concepts being taught. Here are some examples. Number one, the train accelerated equals the train sped up. The bond enthalpy of the CC bond is... Let's see if you can get this one, everyone. Enthalpy means energy. So I could rephrase that as the energy contained within the CC bond is. Number three, the dinner was sublime equals the dinner was superb. English teachers might hate me for that uh, translation there. Um, But uh, you can get the point, I hope. We can prompt this process by repeating technical sentences in an everyday format. And we can ask our students, what does and fill in the blank mean? This can lead to meaningful discussion that will serve to reinforce keywords and clarify the underlying theory of the lesson. Well, there we go, everybody. That concludes the eight tips for increasing lesson clarity. Um, So I hope that that was a useful podcast episode today, everyone. Um, Please do check out my blog for teachers. It's a brilliant blog, I think. Uh, It's a very popular blog now. Um, I'm getting um, well over 12,000 visits per month now on the blog, so it's doing quite well. Um, And um, that's at richardjamesrogers.com. So once again, that's richardjamesrogers.com. And on there, you will find hundreds of different blog posts that cover practical teaching tips. So check it out. Also, follow me on social media. I have Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, What else do I have? LinkedIn, where you can connect with me. And my social media links are in this episode description. So check that out. Um, And if you want to email me, maybe you have a topic request or a question, please feel free to do so. My email is info at richardjamesrogers.com. Once again, that's info at richardjamesrogers.com. Thank you, everybody. I really hope that was a useful episode. Until next time, bye-bye for now.